I'm Jess McCauley, and I am a theater maker, and I am also an introvert. I'm Phil Rickaby, and I am a writer and performer, and I am also an introvert, and this is The Introvert's Guide to. On The Introvert's Guide to, we talk about the introvert life and how to live it to the fullest. We'll choose a topic and discuss it, as well as try to find other helpful hints on social media and on the internet at large. If you want to drop us a line, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at introvertguide2, the number two, and you can find the website at introvertsguide2.com. If you want to send us a message, you can do that through the website, or you can email us at stuff at gmail.com. And remember, we may use your questions or comments on an upcoming episode of The Introvert's Guide to. And if you like the podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a comment and a five-star rating. Your comments and ratings help new people to find the show, but even better. Whether you listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, if you know someone that might like The Introvert's Guide too, tell them about it. Some of our favorite podcasts became our favorites because someone we know told us about them. So, when you were a young introvert, growing up in the world, making your way in the world. The way that I'm like, suddenly I'm like picturing like young introvert (laughs) Jess making her way with like one of those like hobo packs over her, over her back in the thirties, getting on a train. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I was a little tramp. (laughs) 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 Oh, here we go. Good start. That's a great start right there. I'm keeping that in for sure. Good. And it's at all directed at you. You're feeling all of that. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe some children don't react to it, but I know I certainly did. Like if there was the anger directed my way. When you were making your way out in the world, when you were dealing with people, did you find yourself overly sensitive Yes. And the worst part is, is that that was always weaponized against me. Yeah, I always found that whenever I would start to have those reactions, you would get the, oh my gosh, you're being so dramatic. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, like, okay, can you just take it easy? Can you calm down? Wow, you're really sensitive. And it makes you so self-conscious. And you wonder, like, is something wrong with me? (laughs) Well, I I think part of it, like, for example, if you're a child and there's an adult who's, you know, upset there or angry or whatever, I, I would immediately burst into tears. Like I would immediately burst into tears and, and like, just, just be kind of unable to, to process the emotion that was coming at me. Oh my gosh. Like you were saying that and I'm just having flashbacks. Like I thought I was... You know, of course, there's lots of people out there, but it's just so refreshing to hear somebody say that they used to, you know, they used to cry when people would get mad at them or they'd have some sort of negative reaction toward them. Mm-hmm. And I think 
you know, it would come from adult figures where they're, they're pressing you on something you don't know how to answer. And suddenly just the, the situation becomes so magnified because mm-hmm. you are so sensitive to the situation. And as soon as you start to cry, it's wow. Wow. It's really hard to talk to you about this. It's like, yeah, that's not true. I just I need a minute. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think I think when you're a kid, especially when you're when you're a young child, especially, and you can barely process the ima- the emotions that are 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 coming in that are coming out of you in the first place. No, don't even get me started at puberty. But anyway, like all of that sort of stuff, <laughs> like that's that it's hard to deal with it, and then you end up with like just just feeling kind of insane. Like you're just. You, since you can't process it, your only outlet, especially as a child, is to is to is to is to cry. Is it any wonder then? I wonder. And we've dealt with in past episodes about about being avoidant to conflict. Is it any wonder that for many introverts, the reaction to conflict is to avoid it or shut down? Oh yeah. I mean, again, if you're made to feel insecure about your feelings and and how we react to certain situations. I mean, I would start to feel not, I would, I mean, I have, I felt as though maybe I'm not capable enough to deal with the situation. Mm. Maybe it's better that I do avoid it. So that way I don't absorb myself too much into this. Mm. Again, everything is magnified as highly sensitive people. Yeah. Not to say all introverts are highly sensitive, but majority are. Well, I mean, Susan Cain in in Quiet talks about, you know, the the introverted child being a sensitive child. I am sort of left to wonder about the the sensitivity if that's if that comes from an empathy thing, like mm-hmm. being a little too empathic where a an adult being overwhelmed with somebody else's emotion for example, that that coming at you and, and sort of in some ways having it wash over you, you're feeling this thing that you're not familiar with or it's not yours or, or whatever that might be. How do you feel about about empathy as far as as far as your introvert experience goes? You know, I feel like we empathy is a word that has been used in so many different contexts that I feel weird at this point saying like, I'm so empathetic, you know, like, cause I find that there's people that do the whole, like, Oh, I know what you mean. I'm feeling empathetic toward the situation, but yes. yeah. you know, truly I find as an introvert that when I, I, you know, and maybe this is why we need to be in smaller groups and when we have, you know, maybe a serious discussion or, you know, something that is a sensitive topic, I find I do need to take step back from the conversations just because I know that the empathy is going to become draining at some point. Mm. I I know that I as much as much as I want to be of use in the conversation, I know that I'm not going to be any good by absorbing all of it and taking it mm-hmm. all in and still trying to decipher how I feel while still trying to give, you know, good advice or good counsel, right? Yeah. I think a lot of the problem comes down to that 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 feeling of of when the emotions are heightened that they're they're just sort of like washing over you a little bit too much. It's sort of we have to learn our coping tools later on in life and they don't always work because we're not always we're not always in a place where we can. I remember many years ago when you know 
obviously pre-pandemic and I was young, so I was going out to clubs and there was a, a club in Toronto. I was, I was sort I was working in there. I was bussing tables and that sort of thing. And there was a particular person who would come into that club and somehow whatever they had going on always affected me. Like I, they would walk in and I'd be like, why do I have a headache? Hmm. And somehow this person was projecting stuff and I was just able to, to pick it up. I think it was more, they had a general storm cloud over their head. And although they did a lot of putting on a, a, a good face for people around them, that storm cloud wasn't hidden from me. And I, I sort of like felt it in some way. That's so interesting. Like, wow. You had a physical reaction, like a headache. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I literally would like that person would, would walk into the bar and I would be like, Whoa, why is, why is, and you know, there's loud music and stuff. So it's not like that, like, not like it was super quiet. And then there was loud noise. No, this person would walk in and it would somehow, somehow hit me. Wow. I, you know, I think like, I've never had that sort of reaction before, but I have had, I think just my mood automatically changes. Like, honestly, if, if not, if when I have had someone like that enter into a room or they're starting to approach me, there's something that comes over you that just, I could have been in a great mood. I could have been in a bad mood. Suddenly just it switches. And, you know, my husband notices that, that, little cloud over me yeah and, and just you notice the face dark and it's like is everything okay it's like yeah it will be eventually <laughs> yeah yeah and that's the thing and i think at first i didn't realize what was happening and then mm -hmm. after a while when it was happening to me i realized every time this happens it's because this person has entered the room so what does your self-care look like when it comes to this person avoidance of somehow what I, once I realized that, that this person was the cause and they were sort of hanging out in the friend group for a little while is I essentially had to like cut off contact with this person. So, cause mm -hmm. whatever, you know, if they, if they, if she, if this person was hanging around with, with, with the friend group, I just couldn't, couldn't hang out there. So mm -hmm. it was just this thing. Eventually they sort of faded away and and they were a temporary addition to the group but it was it was i essentially had to cut off some contact and not not be quite as as close with that particular which wasn't wasn't particularly pre pleasant but it was either that or just be miserable oh yeah i mean so many times we we feel as though we have to put up with these situations and i i know put up with it can sound sort of aggressive but we feel as though we have to go through these things with these people or else we're rude yeah. or else we're, we're mean and we're not giving them a chance or we're not being our best selves by wanting to help them. But having taking on a savior complex mm. to help somebody is so unhealthy. Yeah, that'll never that'll never go your way. That will no. never work out well because you you can't do it. You can't be the person that save someone else like that. Mm -hmm. Often what will happen is if you're, you start going that way, it's like for the same reason why they say, you know, if you see somebody drowning, don't reach out to, to, to help them, like call the lifeguard or throw a rope or whatever, because that person will, will grab onto you and drag you down. And, and then you'll both be underwater. And that's often what happens with, with this sort of thing. If you go out to save this person, you become a wash in their stuff and they just sort of drag you down as well.
<laughs> Having a lot of flashbacks to teenage Jess now. I can change him. No. <laughs> That's yeah. a different conversation entirely, Jess. <laughs> that is. That it absolutely is. I think the there's that aspect, that empathy, that unconscious empathy. But then that sensi- sensitivity comes up a lot of the times when um, just in every day, right? Like once you've been in a situation where somebody's anger or their disappointment and disappointment's the worst, isn't it? Like if somebody's disappointment is directed at you, it's all, you'd almost rather they were, they were angry at you. And that's, that sort of just feels like overwhelming and you would almost do anything to avoid it again. I almost have a hard time separating it from my social anxiety. They, I know that they can overlap, but when it comes to those situations where I know I have to distance myself or I have to come to terms with disappointing somebody and I'm working really hard on a not absorbing all of that into my being for the rest of the day, week, month, whatever that may be. And also trying to work up some sort of courage to be able to make amends with the situation. I I'm, it's just this big old flurry that just flies around in your head because again, sensitivity is going to magnify. It's going to be absorbed. I'm going to take it in deeply and nitpick everything because I need to, I need to make sense of the situation and the empathy being, what have I done to them? I'm guilty now. And the anxiety of, am I a bad person? Am I bad? Am I bad? Mm. (laughs) Do you feel like there's a way that you might be able to, to, to consciously separate the the sensitivity from the from the anxiety might there be a way to to think about those two separate things i know that they get tangled up and it's really easy for them to get tangled up but because they get tangled up that makes them even more difficult to deal with i well it's all going to come down to our own coping mechanisms but i know for me personally being able to write out the situation and lament about it and when i mean what i mean by lament is I need to be giving myself permission to focus on myself when I write and how I feel as opposed to taking on what this person, how they feel, what I've done to them. I need to let go of the guilt, acknowledge how I feel right now, think about the situation. And then the more that I start to write, the more that the feeling actually does become a little bit more clear Mm. in that, okay, I understand the part that I've played now. Mm. Here is how I understand the situation. Nice. So you're a journaler. That's that's something that you that you do. Have you always been oh, a journaler? Yes. Oh, yeah. My oldest journal goes back to when I was seven years old. Yeah. How often do you look back on those journal entries? Oh, but they're super cute too, though. Like <laughs> <laughs> they're like super fuzzy and like yeah. they've got like the little stick figures in there and being like, today we went camping and I was happy. <laughs> like <laughs> young Jess was super cute. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Another thing that can that can sort of trigger that that sensitivity is sometimes we can react to even just an offhanded remark from mm-hmm. somebody who doesn't intend something, right? But we, and this might might be, you know, we've talked about that, that, that how difficult it can be, like you mentioned, to separate introversion and social anxiety. But there might be something about 
about how we react to an offhanded remark and sometimes obsess about it. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's... That just sent me down a rabbit hole. (laughs) I think about it because, like, it's just... Yes, I overthink and we and we've covered this, you know, like I gave the example of like you texted like, yay, and it was like close to like just having a period instead of like the exclamation point. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I, I love that text still to this day. It's my favorite, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> now, is it that um, I put a period or did I not put any exclamation, like any punctuation on it at all? It's the fact that you didn't put the exclamation point. Like I said, it was very much Dwight Schrute energy of it is your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> very yeah. sensitive to that stuff. Yes, yes. But I mean, again, that comes down to... That that comes down to that little tango of, are they mad at me? Am I overthinking this? Is this anxiety? Am I just sensitive to something? Did something, was something in me? I don't want to use, I don't think the word trigger is the right word for this point, but it's the, I'm getting a bad memory. I'm getting something that I don't Mm. like here, right? Sure. Yeah. I'm going to give you another young Phil example. Aw. Young young (laughs) Phil, it was summer and young Phil was out. I don't know, he might have been like six or seven years old. So at that time I was living in Belleville. I was out playing and I summer, so I was wearing shorts. And so playing around, somebody I was playing with was like, wow, you have knobby knees. Oh. At that point, I went home and I put on jeans. And I did not wear shorts again. <laughs> Probably until I was in my late 20s, early 30s. Oh, my gosh. So you went through summers. Yeah. Summers with yes. jeans. Yes. Oh, yeah. I feel that. Yeah, that's I feel that's that. like that, that, like just that little comment. And they, I don't remember the kid that said it. I just remember that it was said. And I'm sure to them, they forgot about it the instant after they said it. But it hit me and I felt super self-conscious. And you know what? I know now I didn't have knobby knees. I had child knees and those are not knobby knees. And I like, I spent literally like almost 20 years not wearing jeans. Oh my God. In the summer, in heat waves, just because I was too self conscious. I know we have a lot of international listeners, but if you don't know, no, Canada does not snow all year round. We get pretty intense heat waves here. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're coming here and you're like, it's August and you're like, I'm going to go skiing. I mean, in some parts of the country you can, but in a bunch you can't. And uh, yeah, no, it was like, you know, heat waves and stuff. I remember sitting in a cafe with friends in a heat wave in the 90s. And we were like trying to figure out like. I was wearing jeans, but it was super hot. It was so hot. We were like, we should go see a movie just to get into some air conditioning. Like it was that bad, but I didn't wear shorts. Oh my gosh. And like, see, that's the thing about being a highly sensitive person and just a general human being is remembering that we can't control other people. So coming into contact with a person with no filter, especially teens, kids. Yeah. I think that's where we really need to develop our tool belt the most just to protect ourselves because sometimes people say things and they really don't mean to be mean. They'll just say things like that. They'll just make a comment. You know, mine was, you know, wow, your hair is like Ronald McDonald red. And I 
hated my hair growing up. It was awful. And it wasn't until like I got to high school, I like really started to like my hair because no one has this color. Maybe she's born with it. <laughs> you know, it, what, what sort of gets me is, is, is the fact that like, like these little comments and you managed to come to terms with it in high school. And it mm-hmm. took me until like almost the end of my twenties to be able to, to come to terms with it. But mm-hmm. I never said anything about why. Mm. Like if my parents said, why, why don't you like, you have all these shorts. Why aren't you wearing these, your shorts? I would just say, I don't want to. Oh, yeah. And so I never said, oh, this kid said that I had knobby knees or something like that. And they could then talk me out of it. I just felt so self-conscious and so embarrassed that I just never brought it up. And so 20 years of of not wearing shorts through the summer. I should make a confession. I also did not wear shorts. Why did you not wear shorts? I was way too self-conscious about my legs. I'm, I'm a curvier woman. I am proud of this now, but growing up, especially as a young lady in the 90s and early 2000s, there was the thing called the low rise jeans that are an absolute nightmare and they are making their way back into fashion. I I hate it. I hate it so much, but you should stop and tell the kids right now, the low rise jeans thing. Don't let it happen. Stop it now. Stop it now. You will not be happy with it. Don't do it. Don't it's, do it's, it. it. Don't do it. It's its own pandemic. It needs to stop. It needs to end and go die. <laughs> it just, I don't use that phrase lightly. It needs a grave. Goodbye. Yes, it- but I, you know, I took on all of that. And I remember some boys are silly when they're young and they say things to girls, you know, they'll pull their pigtails. They'll make fun of them. And I got made fun of for my legs. I had thicker legs And it stopped me from, yes, wearing shorts, but also Mm. wearing bathing suits. I wore boarding shorts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I wore Mm. those growing up. And it was just, I was incredibly self-conscious, but I think sensitive when it came to the topic of, you know, just talking about bodies in, in around my other friends, especially my thinner friends. You know, just hearing them say things like, oh, my gosh, my legs are so big. And you're like... Oh, so that's what you think of my legs. Okay. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's I mean, I, I wonder if if there's something that can be I think it can be difficult for parents, especially if parents, you know, when I was a kid, nobody really understood the difference, like introverted child, extroverted child and mm-hmm. teachers certainly, certainly didn't help anything. So nobody really understood, I think, the sensitivity aspect. Mm-hmm. And so parents just like oh you don't want to wear shorts you should wear shorts fine whatever like no like like why like okay you say you don't want to wear them but why why don't you Mm -hmm. want to wear them like let's have a conversation about that and and it it these are conversations that, that that could happen to mitigate those things but instead i internalized an offhanded comment by a small child for 20 years and that's I think I think we've all had some kind of experience like that because somebody saying something about your hair or something like that. When I was losing my it's long gone now, friends. I've <laughs> said goodbye to it. I said goodbye to it years ago and it it hasn't really ever seen a comb since because it's either been too short or just gone. But when it first started to fall out and it was the hairline was starting to go, I was super self-conscious about it. And I would wear hats 
once I figured out that I like I spent time thinking I didn't look hat like look good in hats, and then I was like, no, it's only certain kinds of hats. And <laughs> then I had a friend who would cut my hair for me. And one of the last draws before I actually shaved my head was they just sort of said, you know, the hair that you have is really quite thick. Okay. And I was like, thank you. And then oh. I shortly after that I just shaved it off. Oh my gosh. And now, how long ago was this? Was this low rise jeans time, Phil? I oh, just this is probably. To... <laughs> I mean, this this was probably either this is pre low rise jeans. Okay, okay. I was, I was. I mean, honestly, my hair started to thin when I was in in theater school. So it was like in my nineteen nineteen my teens twenties. And by the time I was graduating from 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 theater school, there I was like, well, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I swore then, I actually swore then, I said, I have, there's two things you can do. You can comb over or you can shave it. And I am not going to comb over. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> On behalf of women everywhere, thank you. <laughs> I'm just happy for myself because I never had to worry about what my hair was going to do on a windy day. <laughs> no. Like you, you just wear... like spend spend all of your time just like holding the few strands of hair that you've combed oh across gosh. because you feel so self-conscious about your baldness that you're just holding. I was just like, this is a thing that's going to happen. I have to be comfortable with it. And then, you know, I think I mentioned before a group of friends who were all sort of in a similar boat. We all decided we were just going to shave our heads. And so we did. And fortunately for all of us, we all had some elegant skulls. Absolutely. Some people, some people have, end up, they shave their head and they're like, my head is a, is a cube. And then they grow the hair back out. But I, I have an elegant skull. Thank you. Thank you for coming to my you TED do. Talk. <laughs> and you look great in hats too, by the way. Thank you. You look Thank you. great. Thank you. Absolutely. But it's funny how those little comments can get us, right? Yeah. Again, we internalize it, like you said, and it suddenly becomes our truth. And it's we we forget that somebody instilled that into us. And it's, you know... I don't think I would have the wherewithal if my parents said to me, you know, why, why do you feel you need to cover up your legs? Well, they're mm -hmm. big. Well, did someone say that to you? Well, I no one needs to say it to me. I can just see it. Right. No, but there's, again, like, I think, I think there's something like the parents, parents need the wherewithal. They need the, the they need the sensitivity to understand mm -hmm. that they have a sensitive child and that that child's probably not going to answer the question truthfully the first time because they feel too yeah. self-conscious. Right. Yeah. So why aren't you wearing shorts? Well, I don't want to. <laughs> no, it's true, though. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing being is that it's not even just the it's not even just those little things that ride on us mentally throughout our, our years. It's I think whenever feeling really strong emotion, too. And because we internalize that, suddenly I feel like I need to shy away from it. And I almost feel as though because I don't know what came first, the empathy or the high sensitivity, mm. or maybe it was both. They may be, I mean, they could be inter intertwined, right? Because mm -hmm. an anybody who has a, 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 a strong sense of empathy is also going to be quite sensitive. Right. It's the only way to feel empathy for somebody else is to be sensitive. Do you feel you can be one without the other? I mean, I don't know, because to me... I mean, maybe, maybe you could be sensitive and completely narcissistic so that you never feel empathy for anybody else. 
Mm. You only like feel the sensitivity of things that people say about you. Mm -hmm. But empathy and sensitivity can very well go together because you are not only feeling the things that other people direct at you, but the emotions as well, right? Like, for example, mm -hmm. did you ever have trouble watching TV shows where somebody is embarrassed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I can't watch The Off. I have a lot oh, of difficulty. What? I have a lot of difficulty <laughs> with with shows and 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 films and and media where where somebody is is getting embarrassed. And so, embarrassment humor I can't deal with because I feel ter I feel empathy and I blush on behalf of the person who's feeling it. It's very difficult, and so I I can't get past that. And I know I'm missing out on The Office, but I just haven't been able to do it. Jess has left the chat room. Like, just I'm I'm gone. I can't believe this. Like, listen, I know the memes. I just haven't watched the whole show. But oh, I feel so like good. the show has but entered into the into the into the, the the zeitgeist enough that I understand it and I get the references. Yeah. But I I I that that empathy carries into the embarrassment. Yeah. So embarrassment humor, I just can't I can't handle. It's okay. I still respect you. I still like you. You know, it's it's. It's all good, Phil. It's all good. I feel like it's not. I feel like I feel like you're really judging me right now. And that no, I'm not. not. Okay. And this I'm is not. the last episode of the Introverts Guide too, and I don't know it yet. <laughs> Finale. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry, I have to get over that now. <laughs> Where were we? You can't write embarrassment humor. No, it's true. And like, I think that's. I can handle embarrassment humor through television. I'm one of those people. Yes, I can be cynical. Yes, I can be very negative. And it, I, I know this. I'm self-aware. But if somebody, even if I wasn't too fond of them, embarrassed themselves in front of me, in front of other people... I am one of those people that really needs to save them. Like I will find mm -hmm. a way to like help cover up. I will defend you. Even if, even if I'm wrong, I will still defend you. Mm. I feel so hurt for them or embarrassed for them that I need to take on that embarrassment to save them from it. It's like, I'll, 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 I'll absorb this. <laughs> See, I, I do, I take on the embarrassment, but I, I end up like just sort of like staring at the floor because I've taken on too much. And I'm just like sort of frozen because of the embarrassment. When I was a kid watching a TV show and somebody got humiliated, for example, which is a popular trope, it's a popular trope in, mm -hmm. in television, things like that. I would have to leave the room. Oh, I would, somebody would be like humiliated or whatever. And I would just get up and I wouldn't like, like say anything. I just like pretend I had to go to the washroom or something, but I would, I'd get up and I would leave the room just so that I didn't have to be in the same room where that was happening. I think I'm the same way when it comes to pranks. I, you know, pranking to me is, it depends on what the prank is and mm -hmm. who is doing it. It's got to be super small and it can't be, you know, it can't put somebody through like a big emotional trauma. Like, you know, there, there was once this era folks of YouTube where people would do the most asinine pranks. There was one that stood out to me where, a friend broke in, someone broke into their friend's apartment and they hid behind a curtain and they dressed themselves as a home intruder. And they had, they had an actual weapon on them and they, they, oh yeah, oh yeah, they, they had a weapon on them and it, they, 
they set it up like surveillance cameras and the mm. person who was getting pranked was so horrified and scared that they couldn't laugh. And yeah. it was one of those things where you look at the comments and people are like, that's the funniest thing I've seen. Oh my gosh. He was so scared. And I'm like, no, that that's a really far, like absolutely way out of line prank. I don't even call that a prank anymore. No, that's not a prank. That it's is, cruel. that is, that is cruel. That's torment because yeah. You know, if you look at like some of the original prank television, like Impractical Jokers, for Impractical instance, Jokers, yeah, or or you know, you go further further back with like mm -hmm. uh, Alan Funt and the the show, like <laughs> whatever it was called, and those those are pranks that are in good fun. Nobody got hurt, right? Nobody got hurt. It was always revealed that it was you know that it was a strange situation, but nobody got hurt, and nobody was really ever in any danger. It's just like like really like light stuff. I see there's pranks that people do on like TikTok and their relationship pranks. And those are fucking toxic. And I can't I watch those. those. I can't watch them at all because the, the person being quote unquote pranked is feeling real emotion and real, like, this is not a fun thing. It was like a joke where, Oh, it looks like I'm sleeping with somebody like that's not funny. Or like little things like all of these, like couple, a lot of these couples pranks, they're just toxic as shit. And, and, yeah. And you could see the real hurt in somebody and that's not in good fun. That's gross and toxic. A prank should never be, it shouldn't hurt somebody's feelings. It shouldn't hurt them physically. It, and it should be in good fun so that when the prank is revealed, they think it's funny, not they're still pissed or now they're really pissed. Like that should not be the end result of a prank. And that's, and like, just coming back to it, it's, you know, not only is it for the person, but like, as the people who are witnessing it, it's as an empath, it's like, how dare you put me through that now? You're not just pranking these people. You're making yeah. me feel something I didn't even want to go with. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, that is really toxic. And I know that there's, there are couples out there that say, oh, we have each other's permission to do this, but it's just, where is the humor in this? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, it's like, you see, you know, the one that I saw recently was a boyfriend was watching his girlfriend get ready and she almost done her makeup and her hair. And what does he do? He sprays whipped cream all over. Right. And I'm just thinking in like, she's not laughing and it's like, she's got to get ready for work. And now she's got to start all over again. Right. And it's one of those things of, I just, I can't watch. It's just too much. It is yeah. too much for me. Because those are those like as a prank and it's all well and good. People say, yes, we have permission to do mm -hmm. that. But the, the, the feeling of betrayal that the person on the receiving side has is real. That is real. And it's that kind of prank just like really erodes. I mean, I'm going to get on a soapbox here, but it erodes the foundation of whatever relationship <laughs> they have. There are other couples yeah. who clearly they're doing a shtick. There's a couple that does this thing where the, the 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 husband does or says something and then walks away to some like to the the gangsters paradise music and it's like always it's always clearly a setup it's always that sort of thing and and the yeah. wife gets her own that's that's when the couple has permission to do it they're working together to create a thing it's when somebody is like yeah. tormenting their their the person that they supposedly love that's that's the thing. And maybe some of the kids are like, listen, old man, I think it's funny. And that's fine that you think it's funny. I can't watch it. No, I know. No, millennial here. It's not funny. Like it, it gets old <laughs> real quick. 
I, I just, you know, I've pranked my husband before, but like my extent of a prank is it has to cause mild confusion. That is it. Mild confusion. And when yes. it's revealed, he goes, oh, you got me. Like, that's it. That is that as should far be, as I will go. That should be that should be a prank. That is a prank. The the person either is mildly disoriented. They, there's confusion. And then when it is revealed, they are going to laugh because that is a funny prank. Oh, and, and just, just my own personal opinion, I didn't film it. <laughs> I'm not going to broadcast this. No, and that's the other thing. It's, you know, it's all well and good to do these things as pranks. If you're like, sometimes, sometimes if you thought you were going to film it, maybe don't, or maybe don't share it. <laughs> wow, we went off on a good tangent there. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a tangent, yes. It was, but coming back to it. I'm trying to think of, I, I know that more introverts than extroverts are empathetic and highly sensitive. Have you ever met an empathetic, highly sensitive extrovert? Yeah, absolutely. What does absolutely. that look I don't like? Think it, I don't think it's exclusive because again, a lot of the people that we think of as extroverts, let's remember that most people are actually ambiverts. And so they have, they sit somewhere on the, in the middle ish of the spectrum of introvert extrovert. And so they have tendencies towards each. I, I know a few people who are extroverts who are also like, they also feel they have that empathetic thing. They feel sensitive, that sort of thing. So it's, it's out there and it, it exists. So it's not just exclusive to introverts. I just think that, that possibly introverts as you know, as sensitive people and, and people who were sensitive as children, a lot of the time, they're the ones that, that, that sort of have carried that from the beginning or something. I don't know. I've met empathetic extroverts. I find more often than not, I've met more sympathetic extroverts. And I heard a, there was a great analogy by Brene Brown, the difference between sympathetic and empathetic. And sympathetic is you see somebody has fallen into a hole. You mm -hmm. look down the hole and say, oh, my goodness, it must be so dark in there. And empathetic is someone gets down into the hole with you and says, it's terrible in here. Let's find a way out. Right. Yeah. I find more often than not extroverts have this because. Because their energy is coming from so many different places in a room full of people. That I don't. Is it like. I feel like I'm I'm asking a, a question for the nature channel here, but like, is it more sympathetic if, if they were to feel like that energy coming into a room that they recognize it, but it's just, they're not internalizing it or I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say because mm -hmm. I mean, we, again, like we say so often, we're only able to speak to our, our experience on this show. I cannot believe that sensitivity and empathy is exclusive to introverts. Oh, and it wouldn't be. No, no. So there's definitely uh, extroverts out there who feel that, who feel it and who experience it. They may react to it in a different way and perhaps they're able to handle it better than some of us who are more inward focused, mm -hmm. right? Somebody who is extroverted might've found a witty retort to your knees or knobby. And even if it was just like, yeah, well, you're ugly or something like that. <laughs> I don't know what a good retort to that is, but they probably would not have been wearing jeans for 20 years of their life because of something a seven-year-old said. 
Right. Sorry. It just goes to speak to your character, Phil, of how sweet you are. Of like, well, you're you're ugly. <laughs> Good comeback. The best I could do. Absolutely. The best I could do. So sweet. On social media, we asked, do you ever feel like you're too sensitive? Do offhanded remarks from others sting harder than they were intended to? How do you deal with being over fashionista euphoria on Instagram said it just reminds me to keep to myself and mind my business because I can't deal with people. And usually I'm sensitive to passive aggressive comments or questions. I get too irritated with the things people say. So I just try to avoid people. And do you find that like whenever you really you try to avoid those passive aggressive remarks and you point them out. Someone says you're reading too much into it. And it's yeah, like almost oh, 100% of the time. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, no, I don't think I am. I don't yeah. think I am reading too much. I think in fact, I read so much into it that I know too much about it. <laughs> I think sometimes the problem is that somebody who is being passive aggressive or somebody who has a tendency towards being passive aggressive, they don't realize that they are being passive aggressive. And so mm-hmm. when you point out their passive aggressiveness, they're like, no, I'm not. jerks i think that that comes down to i mean listen we all like to avoid people we all enjoy our own company we might have just a couple of friends or a couple of close friends avoiding people entirely is not a possible thing to do in the world uh but i totally get it i totally get it because sometimes Somebody on the subway will like be rude to you and you'll just think about it all day. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. It doesn't leave you. (laughs) No, no. Uh, Alexander said, I definitely feel like I take things too sensitively. So I take a deep breath and I remind myself that they wouldn't take time to talk to me if they didn't care. And it's coming from a good place. Okay. I mean, like, you know, we tend to guilt ourselves by saying things again, like the, I take it too, you know, I'm sure. too sensitive. I do. The, this is all on me. Right. Sure. But, you know, like you said, if they didn't care about you, we wouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. But I mean, at the same time though, I'm also of that opinion that if somebody I love is making me feel highly sensitive, I'm not afraid to go to them and ask for reassurance. Right. Or clarification. Yeah. I think it depends on the context, right? I don't think that the kid who said that I had knobby knees didn't, like, that they particularly cared and that that comment was coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. That that was just an offhanded comment that mean children say to other to other children. But, it like, context is everything. So sometimes, like, in, in if somebody is giving you feedback on something, then for sure their feedback is almost usually coming from a, a, a good place. And so you have to try to not take it too seri- too, too, too sensitively. Mm-hmm. I think context is everything there. I went to the internet. There is a lot on highly sensitive people, HSP. There are lots of different tools that we could look through here. Again, it's going to come right down to what to what works best for you. I love journaling. A lot of people don't like to journal. They just can't imagine sitting down and writing even for just 5 minutes, right? So, find what works for you. 
to help you work through whatever it is that you're going through. But what I did find on Introvert Deer were 27 things you do because you're a highly sensitive person. And the reason why I brought this up is because I want I want us to find moments in our lives where we can say, hey, that right there, I am being sensitive. I can feel it now. I understand. So if we find these little moments, then I think it helps us begin that journey of finding those coping mechanisms. Now, a lot of these may resonate with you. They may not. But we know one thing for sure. Number two on the list, you can't watch or read about certain topics. Phil and I can't do pranks. Can't do it. Not for us. Oh, I also, and let's not forget people getting embarrassed just generally. I can't do it. Absolutely. Unless you're me and you want to watch The Office, like, come on. (laughs) But there was a couple on here that I found I definitely resonated with. Number four, you're easily startled. I do not like it when someone comes like not even intentionally scary even if you just you come up and you're like hey how's it going and you're like and you see me jump if if i see you laughing and i'm still trying to gain my composure i'm not going to laugh along with you that is the one time i am going to be just back up you know what's what's funny about that is i think about about myself and that i i have a light step and so i I often inadvertently frighten people that I live with, not because I'm trying to, but I don't make a lot of noise when I walk. So I'll like walk into a room and say somebody's doing the dishes or something. And I'll say, Hey, and they're like, fuck, I didn't even know you were there. Or they jump or something. So I, I, I do that inadvertently, but like, here's a question, Jess, can you go to a haunted house? Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. 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 Here's okay. the thing. Okay. I can do haunted houses because I know what I'm walking into. There is a famous picture of me and two other friends and I'll, I'll see if I can find it, but I am being pushed forward and there's that it, it's on Niagara Falls too. this haunted house. Right. And there's that point where they have to take a picture of you mid scare. And for this one, it was a car that's coming forward and the horn goes really loud. I didn't jump. I, I did not jump. I think haunted houses are the only scenario where I actually have a sense of control. My other friends crap in their drawers. Just absolutely done. I And, and then there's me with my face looking incredibly bored. <laughs> I will say, as you may have guessed, that haunted houses are generally a no for me, unless it's like something the level of the haunted mansion at Disney, because that's not really scary. But a haunted house at the fair or something like that, nope. Or at Halloween, those ones that they do, like, no, no. Love them. Can't do it. Can't Love do them. It. Really? I kind of want to do one now with you, Phil. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do like some kind of like... If if you guys send us enough money, Phil will go to a haunted house and we'll film it or something like that. And I will hate oh every second of it. And I will love every second. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, I wanted to get your opinion on this. When you fall in love, you fall hard. Yeah, every time. Hmm. Every time I have fallen in love, I have fallen hard. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you a brief story when on 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 the my first date with Melanie was on a freezing cold night in November. 
of 2019. We went to a play again. I broke all of my my usual like first date rules where we go for coffee. Something went to a play. Mm-hmm. We watched the play. We both felt the same way about the play. And then we went and we talked about it. And as we sat and then we went to a place to get some hot chocolate or something. And as we sat there, I was I was realizing that I was now 100 percent in. And even though I had been sort of talking with some other people and I had tentatively set up some dates for, for later on, I said, I'm canceling those dates. And I did that night. And because I knew that this was the girl for me. Sorry, one second. I'm just going to do this on behalf of everybody that's listening. Oh, <laughs> so sweet, but yeah. no, it's true. I'm the same way. I, I, I fell hard for my husband, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I had mentioned this before, but I didn't actually see him. I heard his voice. And for the the first time I heard his voice, I went, oh, yeah, okay, I like that. I like that. Oh. Oh, yes. I was like, oh, that's a good voice. I like that. And then I don't know what it was. The second he walked through the door at a rehearsal that we were in, I knew it was him. I don't know mm. what it was. I just knew it was him. And I immediately was just drawn, so attracted to, like, wow. the energy that he brought into it, right? So mm. I think that's just it is that's kind of the lovely side about being an empath, and and having that sensitivity and feeling other people's energy as we get a, a sense of what we want to be around. Yeah. And, and we get this m- more full picture of who this person is that we're starting to really draw close to. Right. And we yeah. just want to know everything about them. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should probably go back to that list. We were getting so lost in like a good place here. And number 16, I also saw. When people are physically uncomfortable, you know exactly why. Sometimes, sometimes what I tend to see more is when somebody is uncomfortable or upset and their body language shifts slightly. Yeah. I may not know why, but I know that they're uncomfortable. And so that'll be like, oh, either if we're in a good, a good place where we can talk about that, I can ask them. But I always note when somebody's body language shifts and they're uncomfortable. Right. And I'm just wondering with that one too, is it more that you're sensitive or is it that you're just really good at reading body language? Because I do find that I know quite a few people who are not highly sensitive, who can just read people like books. Yeah. Like they, they just sure. can do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if that's, if that's it. I don't know if it's, if it's the sensitivity or if it's just that, I don't know, you know, we've talked about the, the the introvert enjoyment of people watching not from within the crowd, but from outside the crowd cafes. Very far from it. (laughs) But like we spend a lot of time watching people. And so we can pick up on body language, I think. Mm -hmm. I will let our introvert listeners go through that list because there's quite a few in there that again, some you will agree with, maybe some you won't, but I think they're good starting points to, figuring out if we if we are highly sensitive and i'm sure honestly at this point a lot of us already have that grasp on it but there are people that don't recognize that they they can be highly sensitive i mean some people like to they they get embarrassed about it there's that guilt there's that shame that goes with it yeah Mm -hmm. i mean let's you know sometimes the the thing that we feel is the thing that like 
it, we feel shame. Like, why did I start wearing jeans? It was shame. I was ashamed of my mm-hmm. apparently knobby knees. So this is like, we can feel that. We feel shame on behalf of other people. We feel their embarrassment. So I guess it comes down to, you know, these are absolutely, there's a lot, a lot there about, about highly sensitive people and not all of them are going to resonate with everybody, but there's certainly a bunch that will. I think what I've learned in myself, and I think this has just been a long process, even before this podcast podcast episode, is I know that I am highly sensitive. I know that I am empathetic. I am now starting to understand that this is something that I can really take pride in with myself because I know that I'm that friend that will always find a way to understand you. I'm always going to find a way to be there for you. And I'm going to give you the best advice that I can. And the reason why that I feel I can now give you the best advice for you is not because I know everything, but because I have grown enough to know what's going to work for me to help me cope with how I feel to help you. Help me help you. (laughs) So I just, I've started to learn that it's not something to be embarrassed about. Yeah, when I was a kid, I felt embarrassed because people in positions of power made me feel that way. They made me feel that because I was getting overwhelmed, maybe was the word I was looking for earlier, getting overwhelmed with something didn't mean I couldn't handle it. It just meant I didn't, I wasn't able to regulate. So I think, what did I learn? I learned how to regulate my own emotion. That's really good. I think for me, and this might be like along the lines of coping mechanism, but I think back to the times where an offhanded comment has affected me really deeply or something like that, or when I, that sort of thing is if I had been in a position where I could have talked it out with somebody, where somebody could have stuck with me to talk out like, so why don't you wear and wear shorts anymore, for example, and not just been like, you should wear shorts. It's too hot. And I just go, no. And then they're okay, fine. Like that kind of thing you need to, to be able to set something up where you can have a, a really open conversation. And if at all possible, you should try to find those people in your life that you can have those conversations with people who will not shame you for feeling, or even for, for asking the question, like I'm feeling this thing that somebody said a little too deeply, who's not going to discount it and say, well, that's stupid or whatever it is that they're going to say. Like you want to find, if you can, supportive people who can talk that out with you and, and, and let you know that, that like, no, I get that that thing affected you. Let's talk about why, but let's also talk about why that thing is not true. Yeah. Having those honest conversations of why it's not true is just as important to have one as why am I feeling what I'm feeling? And not just, don't just leave it at that. We can't validate every single feeling that we feel. If we were to do that, you're speaking truth into things that shouldn't have truth to it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not in a position where you can have people around you who you can talk those things out with, you're going to have to do it with yourself. In Mm -hmm. which case, you're going to have to ask yourself the very critical question that we've talked about before, is this true? Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to examine, like, like, is this actually true? And don't jump to, well, they said it's true, so it must be true. 
really think about it. Think about the situation you were in. Think about what was happening at the time and really examine, is this true? If mm -hmm. it's somebody made an off comment about your knees, you can like really objectively just look in the mirror and look at your knees and go, wait a second, what do knobby knees look like or whatever that is? And you could you could really sort of sort of uh, interrogate that so that maybe you can come to terms with it and not like wear jeans through a heat wave for the rest of your life.